to talk to you today about endurance. Endurance is one of those things that when we continue on, we get to see his faithfulness. You don't see God's faithfulness unless you endure. We can talk about it, sing about it, preach about it. We can shout about it, all about faithfulness of God. But until we are faithful to him, you know, his spirit leads and his word um, sends us out. We, we can't really understand the faithfulness of God. Um, a lot of things fail us in our life. And I like the acronym of fail because it reminds me of where I need to step up. Fear is the first thing in fail. And fear is one of those things of the unknown. But we trust our unknown future to an all-knowing God, so we have nothing to fear. Apathy. Apathy. And we fail because we're apathetic, because we act as if we don't care. And we, we need to see how God's love cares for us. And we need to care as he cares for us and pour it out to others and even into our own life. And then we see ignorance. A lot of times failure is because we don't act upon the knowledge that we have in God. And we act ignorant of the things that God gives us. And his word is a light into our path and a lamp into our feet. And then, then also laziness. Because we all can admit that in our culture today, we find the path of least resistance. And our Savior, when he was here, had no place to lay his head. And he told his disciples... He says, you know, take up thy cross and follow me. And, and that's not a lazy lifestyle, is it? That's not something we can do passively. It's intentional and it's intensive at the same time. So I want to draw your attention to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 1 through 18. And we're going to talk about fuel for our faith or endurance today and enduring for God. And not just enduring, but thriving in the in the work and the ministry of the Lord moving forward. What was Paul's secret? Paul was, Paul was a man of God and probably the greatest missionary ever. But understand, it was not a secret. He told the Thessalonican church here, or the Corinthian church here, about what kept him going. And I think that's important for us to understand. I am... Um, I was pastoring uh, the Lamina Church, where Brother Buttermore was uh, previously before me, and when 9-11 happened, and um, tragedy, and we're, we're getting ready to celebrate the 18th year of that um, in a couple of days. But I remember, I remember when, when that happened, the service after, our church house was full of people, full of people I'd never met, and boy, as a pastor, that's like sick him to a dog. That's like... Wow, that's a, I, was, I was so happy to see so many people come. Not happy of what had happened, but happy people were coming to God's house to find the answers for their life. And boy, I, I tried to get a sermon together, and I, I, I stumbled through the sermon, but I, I went ahead and we, we, we uh, I, I saw people come to, come to the place of wanting to know more about Jesus. And that was wonderful and good, but it wore off. Somewhere along the line, um, the, the patriotism, and we heard, you know, Lee Greenwood sing, God bless the USA, all over every radio station. You know, the most secular radio station was talking about God blessing our nation, and we were talking about how wonderful it was that we were a God-honoring nation, and we've fallen far short in this, in this short amount of time from that. And the church in Lamita, we went back to our normal sites, 
and much like all the other churches had. And a few people had, uh, I had a chance to minister to, and that was a blessing. Minister to in that short amount of time was, was such a blessing. But as we know in the parable of the four soils, three of the soils couldn't endure. And so it's a, it is a, um, a, a thing that we need to develop within us to create a fertile soil for the seed of his word and his spirit to germinate into us his endurance, his faithfulness. And so I want to talk to you about that today. The, the, church, at, the church at Corinth here in, um, in chapter 4, Corinth was a kind of a rough church. They had a lot of bad stuff going on in it. And 1 Corinthians was basically a blasting by Paul of a lot of bad things that were going on in the church. But then in 2 Corinthians, he tries to encourage them to continue in the faith and to walk. Walk as God had allowed him to walk in the faith. And that's so important. Faith is, faith is putting everything out and bringing God in. I like, I like Hebrews 11. One says, you know, now faith is... I just like those three words. Now faith is. Love was back at the cross. Amen. Love was at the cross. Love is a past tense thing. He loved us before we loved him. Amen. And hope is the anchor for our soul, both sure and steadfast. It is the one thing that we have hope for in the future. But faith now is. And so today, may we lock ourselves in laser line focus. Make a plumb line of what faith is to our walk and our life for the Lord. So I, I got to say, I really enjoy this little fan right down here. Feels like the day of Pentecost here. And a mighty Russian wind blowing right up. I, mean, I feel like there's going to be a photo shoot with all the, you know. I don't have the hair, though, to make it flutter. But it's a, it, it feels really, really good. I'm probably the only person that's commented on that on that Spotify, right? All right. Well, I'll tell you what, that's so important today that we, we understand that God's faithfulness and going forward with, with great anticipation and anxiety and exhaustion that's ahead of us. I would rather, burn, I would rather rust, or not rust out, but wear out than rust out for God, amen, by sitting down, making plans and meeting demands with busy hands. As, as all of us have duties and demands and deadlines as part of each day in order to have our goals for ourselves outlast more than a few days, we must apply some spiritual principles of faith, spiritual, spiritually based resolutions we make are critical. We need to draw some lines in the sand. We need to say, God, I will not go back to those places and to those wave places, and I'm going forward. You know, our toes are on the front of our feet, so we'll move forward, right? Maybe at times we need them stepped on, so we'll move our feet. And maybe this is your stepping on station where I can, I can use God's word to step on a few toes just this morning. Probably not a good thing to do when you're coming in view of a call, right? Step on a lot of toes. But you know what you're getting into then. Marks of maturity. We talked about that in Sunday school class today. Maturity is marked with relationship. Uh, maturity is marked with service. Maturity is marked with attitude, but it's also marked with endurance. How do you endure for God? 
The easiest thing to do in life is to quit. Would you agree? I can start. Now listen to what I'm going to say. I can start the New York City or the Boston Marathon. I can start it just as well as anybody else. But I can't endure it. I'm not in shape for it. Right? I didn't get any laughing, so that means you really believe me. Right? I'm glad you believe me on that. There's a lot of things we can start, but only a few will finish. Many called, a few are chosen. Let me give you a few, let me give you a little test here today, if you know what I'm talking about. I'm at the end of my rope, right? You're on my last nerve. That's the straw that broke the camel's back. I'm ready to throw in the towel. This is the last, can we say that word in California? Straw. Right. You know, we all know those because we said those. You know, things are funny because they're relatable. And this is a funny thing in our life because, you know, as pastors, we, we give up a lot of times on Monday morning. We think, man, if I had only preached this or I've only said that, I only wit witnessed this way. If I was only stronger here or if I wasn't as strong in this point. You know, there's a lot of hindsight that goes back in, in, in preaching and pastoring in a church. And that's a good thing, and it's a bad thing. Because we learn from it, but we don't, we don't need to loathe in it. And we use it to be fuel for our faith. And so the easiest thing to do is to, is to quit, because discouragement is lethal, because it's common. How many of you would agree that almost everybody in this room has dealt with the discouragement and giving up? It's corruptive. It affects every part. If it goes into one part of your life, it's going to sink into other parts of your life. It's a little trickle that turns into a stream, that turns into a river, that turns into an ocean, if we allow it. It's continuous. It won't stop unless you get help to stop it. And God's the only one who can. And it's contagious. You ever been around somebody who's discouraged? Oh, man. It's a mess. It creates a mess. Why do you think when they marched around the city, Jericho, that God said, don't speak, don't say anything? Because if they could talk themselves out of it, folks. We're here to talk ourselves, with, talk to God and talk to each other to encourage one another in the faith so we can have endurance and seek God's will in our life. There's a great prize to be had in serving the Lord. You know, the, the example of Paul and the reasons for endurance, Paul had some very convincing reasons and emotional reasons to quit, physical reasons also. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, I'm just going to read this. Um, in verse 23 to 28, it says, In labors abundant, in in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths often. Of the Jews I received, I received 40 stripes, save one. Thrice I was beaten with rods. Once, once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. And night and day have I been in the deep. I, in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen. In perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in the wilderness, in the, in the east, in perils of false brethren, 
in weariness and painfulness and watchings often, in hunger and thirst and fastings often, in cold and in nakedness. Whew, talk about a list. And then he says, besides those things which, that are without, that which cometh upon me daily in the care of the churches. You know, we can talk all we want about giving up, but I don't think any one of us has faced like Paul has. So I'm ready to listen to his advice that he's about to give to the Corinthian church to continue. Remember, he first had to kind of blast them, then he's going to bless them. He blasted them in 1 Corinthians, but now he's going to bless them in 2 Corinthians. I'm so glad there's a second letter there. I'm so glad in my life there's a second chapter. There's a second book to be written. I, I'm not always all together, and I'm, I'm going to admit to that. I'm not always, I don't always have it together. But God always turns the page, and his mercy and his grace and his strength is new every morning. Praise God. Amen. Paul faced the shame of the chief, being chiefest of sinners, the scrutiny of being challenged by saints, and the suffering of the castigation of saboteurs. That's a lot of big words. But the fact is, there were people that traveled around trying to discredit Paul every step he took. What kept Paul going? What kept him out of the mothballs? Paul had his faults. He admitted to those in Romans 7, 23 and 25. He also had his faults in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10. He had his faults that for sure, yet he contradicted them or counteracted them with his faith. But how did this man, who was just a man, turn the pains in life to the praises for the Lord? How did he do it? Like, he's some spiritual Superman. He, he went around, traveling around with a big ass on his chest and cape on his back. No. In, in most, uh, most uh, designs or most commentaries about Paul, he was a hunchback, almost blind man. And that, that's not, not anything to be attracted to. He, in his latter years, he, it says he wrote his letters largely, and he had to have people help him. He, here in, in, in Corinthians, we find that you know, Paul, Paul had to go into prison. A lot of his letters were in prison. In fact, God had to send him to prison to slow him down long enough to write most of the New Testament. I love that. He, he had to go to prison in order to start work for God in a new ministry. Most of us, when we... When we get imprisoned by our bodies or imprisoned by our situations, we just stop and say, well, I'll wait until, I'll wait until this is over to start beginning again. No, Paul didn't do that. He said, you know what? I need to get out and write these letters to these churches. And praise the Lord, he did. Paul's ability to endure came from these things. Let me give you some of the ingredients here. First, a sense of duty. A sense of duty. Verse 1. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as, as we have received mercy, we faint not. We have been given a ministry. He realized that how he received mercy was a great price paid by a Savior. Like the woman who washed Jesus' feet with her hair with her tears, 
Jesus stated, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. Do you love much? Do you have a sense of duty because of the deliverance, delivering hand of God? That's going to keep you going. Amen? It should. I've been saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast and praise God. I'm going to work, work, work till he comes, comes, comes. Right? We'll work till Jesus comes. We'll work till Jesus comes. You know, we, we sing those songs. I like the fact that we sing. We'll sing Precious Memories. And we'll sing sweet by and by, right? We'll sing, we'll sing about the times that have been. And we'll sing about the times that are coming. But man, we need to have a song in our heart today of what God is doing in our hearts and our lives in the presence of his people. Now faith is. Does it have substance of things hoped for? Evidence of things unseen? That's where our faith needs to be had. A sense of duty. Paul, Paul saw Christ's sacrifice knowing he, he was the chiefest of sinners, 1 Timothy 1.15, and, and was compelled by that mercy not to give up. This ministry Paul had the privilege to suffering in, suffering in was from the payment of all the sins at, the, at Calvary's cross. Realize all that Christ has done for you daily and you can't help but serve him. No matter what I've done in my past, his mercy is new every morning. No matter how many fights I've had, his mercy is new every morning. No matter what I've done, who I've done it to, and how long I've done it, his mercy is due every morning. That sense of duty, of knowing that I have this ministry, my ministry, you know what my ministry is? You know what everyone's ministry is? We are to be ministers of the manifold grace of God. And that's everybody. Everyone here is a minister. We are a kingdom of priests. We are ministers together. Praise God. But my ministry is a ministry of reconciliation. You know what that means? Remember back in the garden where God walked with man in the cool of the day. And even after man sinned, he still wanted to walk with him. He said, where are you, Adam? Wanted Adam to admit to it, right? Adam blew it, didn't he? He says, you know, the woman you gave me caused this happen, right? He blamed God and blamed her. Talk about killing two birds with one stone. <laughs> well, it, you know, God wants to walk with us. He wants us to be, he wants a ministry of reconciliation, of bringing people back to him. That's our ministry today. That's the church's call to be a light to the world because of the sense of duty that we have. We've been delivered. Next, the serenity that's on, or sincerity that's on display. Verse 2. But we have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, committing ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Key phrase there, in the sight of God. I need to be sincerely sure in my walk for God. And that's not going to happen with me, him hawing around, straddling the fence. People are, not always, people are not always watching, but God is. Yo-Yo Ma had the opportunity to have his, uh, 
his director there one time at uh, the guy who taught him how to play the cello. And, and he had a standing ovation after uh, three standing ovations. And Yo-Yo Ma finally said, I can't go out. And you know, he, 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 he only asked a question from the stagehand. He said, says, has the man in the front row stood up? And he finally, that old man who was uh, over 90 years old finally stood up. He was looking for the audience of one. He was, he was sincerely playing that night, not for the crowd, but for that one. And we have to get into the mindset that our sincerity that's on display is not for the world to say, ooh, look how wonderful a Christian they are. That's for our God to look down and say, that's my boy. That's my girl. Come on. Right? To keep going. We need to make God smile. You know what worship is? Making God smile. Blessing God. We always concerned about uh, getting blessings from him. How about turning around and be a blessing to God? Amen. Our sincerity needs to be on display. God, do you know that God is watching? Do you know that he knows your heart even better than you know it? Do you know that? In 1 John 3 and 20, you're going to get that to that in your, in your um, Sunday school lesson. But God is greater than your heart because he knows it better than you do. Amen. He knew Peter was going to deny him three times. Amen. But he said, I'll still be there for you, Peter. After you've fallen, strengthen the brother. I want you to get up and endure. You're not here to give up. Things done for man's approval are not rewarded by God. Yet things that are sincerely done for God, he rewards openly. If you have lost the true reason for service is to please God, then come back and give him your heart and regain your sincerity in service. To be sincerely yours. Let your life be a love letter to God each and every day, each page of the way. Sign it, sincerely yours, and sign your name in pen. Say, I want to give you my heart and my life, all my mind, and as Luke puts it, all my strength. Wear out for the Lord. Because his strength is renewed day to day. The next one, the struggle with the devil. Man, that old devil is a slow fox. If I could catch him, I'd put him in a box. Lock that box, and I'd throw away that key for all those tricks he's played on me. Can we put the devil in a little box and throw him away? No. You know why? Because he's in the life of, he's the prince in the power of the air. He's everywhere with all his with all his demons and all of the other things, all the evil forces, and he's stronger than you. And that struggle with the devil cannot happen without you submitting unto God. The old saying, the old saying, resist the devil and he will flee. That's a, that's a lie. You know that? Resist, submit unto God. Resist the devil, submit unto God, and then he will flee. There's a big difference, Right? You leave God out of the process. It'll be like the disciples when they tried to, you know, cast out demons and they jumped on them and made them all crazy. They didn't go in them because, you know, that can't happen. But the torment was still there. And I'm telling you, we as God's people, 
We need to submit unto God. We need to understand there's a, there is a struggle with the devil. Look what he says. This is Paul speaking. He says, but if the gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Satan's attempt, all-out onslaught, is to blot the light of God to the world around us. To eclipse. You know, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy or bothered or broken. Right? Whatever it takes, as long as he can get your eyes off of Jesus, he can win in a person's life. But gr- Praise God, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. That struggle with the devil is real. We can take a vacation from God, but the devil never does. He's the father of lies. He is relentless, even more today, knowing the time is growing shorter. He knows the times better than we do. Amen? He is chained, he'll be chained for a thousand years. He knows that time is coming. People think they can outfox the fox. Let me ask you this question. If Adam, who had... One commandment, one opportunity, and full brain capacity could not do it, could not fall away from the schemes of the devil. What makes you, with your 10% of brain and all the opportunity in the world to sin, think that you can do it? You can't do it. You can't let up. Amen? You can't give up. You can't stop. You can't go on vacation. You can't pass go. You can't collect $200. You have to. Understand and believe that Satan is an adversary that will mock you. He first tempts you with the sin and says, hey, you deserve it. And then he'll mock you for choosing sin. He, he gets you on both ends. That struggle with the devil is real. No armor is mentioned on the back side, so we cannot give, give up. We must go forward. Have you turned your back on the devil thinking that he's not a threat? Well, then you've been fooled already. The devil cannot lose except through the power of God being a stronghold in your life. And that it takes enduring faith. Paul gives that third secret here. The struggle with the devil keeps me enduring. I know I can't give up because Satan will never give up. Remember, Ephesians chapter 2 says that we have three enemies. We have the world, the flesh, and the devil. And they're an onslaught every step of the way. But we have the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen, that, that created the devil. And we can outpower the devil with his strength every step of the way. Second, uh, number four, spiritual determination. That grit. In the middle of integrity is that word grit, right? Like John Wayne. Right. Some of you guys remember old John Wayne. Well, Pilgrim. They, you know, they had to shoot him at angles because he was a shorter guy. They had to shoot him at angles so that he could appear taller. Because You know why? Because he played tall guy roles. Because he was a big guy. And you can be a big guy and be a little guy. Look at old David, right? Ruddy. They call him Ruddy. You know, a big guy is just easier to hit, right? I'm saying this from experience here. I'm a pretty big dude. And people always say, people always say, um, oh, wouldn't it be nice to be as tall as you? I bet it's wonderful to be tall as you. 
They can try to get in a sports car, get on a plane, get anywhere that regular sized people go, and you ain't going to have a fun day. Brian and I, we went out to dinner last night, and, and we were all getting into that Applebee's booth, and I was afraid if I took one more bite, I'd break the table. I look over at Brian and Brooke, and they're just wiggling around their seat. Oh, they got a million bits of room, and well, this, this fat boy don't fit in them seats. You know, the determination that we have in our life, we need to understand that wherever place that God has put us, we need to excel in those places. Look what he says in verse 5 through 9. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake, for whom God commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure, praise God. This is a treasure to protect, the pearl of great pride. This is, the this is what we treasure, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Now here's where that determination comes in. We are troubled at every side, praise God, but not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are cast down, but not destroyed. Amen. Spiritual determination says, hey, you knocked me down. Big deal, I'm getting back up, because God's got my back. He's got my front and both sides, too. God's got me. He's got a hedge about me. He loves me. And I hope you know that he loves you. You got a commander you can trust. You got a defense that's unstoppable. And you've got an offense that's impossible. Man, you got it made with God. I've read the back of my book, my Bible, and we win. Amen. And you know, I know who did it in the back of this book, and it makes it better all the way through. You can pick up those novels, those mystery novels. And I've had this happen. You read, a, you read a book, and someone will tell you the ending of it, and you go, oh, I just want to throw it in the garbage. Because it's all fantasy. But when you know the back of this book, it makes it better. Amen? It's the only one it does. Because of the spiritual determination that our Lord tries to get back that he had on the first three pages of the Bible back with Adam in the garden, walking in the cool today, he tries to get back to that relationship, and he does. Genesis has its end book of revelation, and he gets back to the relationship he had with his people. I want you to get back to your relationship with your God. And that, re that requires spiritual determination to not be distressed, despaired, or destroyed. That true worries and wandering and wondering, being distressed. I look at the book of Philemon. In, in the book of Philemon, it's about, it's about a servant named Onesimus. The old Onesimus is a runaway slave who Paul finds and he gets converted. And, he, and a message back to Philemon in verse 15, I believe, he says, your servant has run away for a season to come back to you forever. How many of you have ever run away from God? Let me put both hands up. And if I could, both feet up. I can't, I'm a fat boy, so I can't jump up. 
But I've run away from God in my mind, heart, in my body a lot. More times than I can count. I've walked away from God. You say, well, Brother Aaron, you know, that's not something to admit on view of a call day. <laughs> if, if, I can, if I can help you in your life at all, it's going to be because I know where God, where God has failed, or where I failed God in, in my life. You know, it's not in the successes where we learn a lot of things. It's through the failures that we make that where God picks us up from those things. Praise God for that. And that spiritual determination saying, I will not go gently into that good night. I'll rage, rage against the dying of the light. Amen. That's, that's where we go. Next, a sacrificing devotion. Remember that commander? I believe it was Alexander the Great or, or uh, Napoleon. He would take his men up the hill. And the king, um, I think that, um, who's that king and country? They sing that song. They, they sing a song called uh, Burn in the Boats. And I like that story because that commander, he took his men out of the boats and they walk up to the shoreline and he commanded his men to burn the boats. Burn them. Burn them all. Why would you do that? Perfectly good boats. We came here on them. In case something goes wrong, we're going to have an escape. Burn the boats. Leave nothing to go back to. I like what Peter said. It, when, when everybody started leaving, we can, we can mark it with 666. John chapter 6, verse 66. When Jesus began to start to preach and to teach and walked away from miracles as being his headline show, people started leaving him. And Jesus asked a question, will you go too? And Peter says, where would we go? Where else would we go? Have you ever, you ever not come to church and you go, you feel like, oh, they're about ready to start songs now. Oh, oh well, it's almost 11. Yeah, but they're going to start preaching. And you, you start feeling that way. But if you keep out of church for long enough, that feeling, those, those wonderings about what's going on at church start to dissipate. Right? That's why church is so important, not to just give you the discipline, but to, but to help feed and to encourage your heart to be in that place where God has placed his name. God's placed his name here in this place. That sacrificing devotion, verse 10 and uh, through 12 says, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in your body, for which live are always delivered unto, unto death for his sake, and that the life also Jesus might be made manifest in your mortal flesh, so then death worketh in us but life in you. Paul is saying, I'm working myself to death so that you can have life. Isn't that parenting? You know, my, my two oldest are teenagers, and it feels like I'm working to death with them. I see the light at the end of the tunnel. Praise God for that. You know, praise God, you know, you're kind of working to, to death. And, and now um, my youngest one, where are you, Hayden? There you are. He's 13 now. And that, that puts a dad 
a little bit of a, you know, getting ready to, you know, have to hear the talk back. I keep reminding them, though, you know, in Bible times, you'd be stoned for saying that. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. But we make the sacrifice. We do it because of the love relationship. That sacrifice and devotion. Always bear, the, the, the phrase of death and life are mentioned six times in this passage of Scripture. Paul was saying that, that he had to crucify his flesh as far as his affections and lust, Galatians 5.24. He had to do this. Having conflicting goals in life guarantee that none of them will be met. In my hometown of Yuba City, California, we had a radio station, K100. Brother Budmore would be great. He'd be great on that station, that K100. You know, he had, he's got that voice, right? It's, it's awesome. I, I think, like, wow, you know, that, that, that was great. But you know what they did? They, in our community, our community was changing. They tried to be everything to everybody. They went from, like, polka to hip-hop, you know. I mean, they, they jumped from country to contemporary. And, you know, when they tried to please everybody... They please nobody. Because nobody's going to listen to their favorite country song and then all of a sudden, boom, boom, you know, they're not going to do it. It's just not going to happen. So there has to be a devotion. There has to be a willing sacrifice to show the devotion to the fans of that station. Well, our number one fan is our Lord. And he wants, a, he wants a sure and consistent sound coming out of us. A joyful noise unto the Lord. A service that shines greater than ourselves. It's an honor and privilege not to, uh, not a sacrifice to get to, uh, to do these things for the Lord. Our sacrifice each day in every way of decisions and duties and deadlines to choose Christ over ourselves it's an honor to get to do that. It's an honor to serve him. This leads me to my last, or my next point of strength that's given daily. His mercy is new every morning. The inward man is renewed day by day. For this cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, the inner man every day is renewed. If the Lord is going to have you lay yourself down to service to him, know that he will pick, it, pick you up again. Where he leads, he feeds. Where he guides, he provides. God is not the God who takes you out to the woodshed and leads you there. God corrects his children. Oh, amen, he does. In fact, if you don't have been corrected in your life when you've walked away from him, you need, to, you need to find out if you really know him. But God does correct us. But he doesn't correct us forever. And he corrects us for a reason. And that reason today is so that we can get back into line, not, not just because he's the supreme Lord, he knows everything, you know, he knows everything, he knows all about us, and he, he wants our worship it's because he knows what's best for you. He knows what's best for you. And I, I think it's very important to know that Paul expresses 
that we have the same spirit that raised up Jesus dwelling in us. Jesus was in the tomb, and he was raised. And the riches of his glory might be strengthened with might by the inner man. This is the earnest of our inheritance in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16. The earnest of our inheritance is his spirit that it was in us. If someone gives you a gift that's highly useful, doesn't it improve your life? It improves your life, doesn't it? Why, why do so many just limp from Sunday to Sunday in their Christian life? They, they are not in tune with the spirit of life and liberty and leadership of God. The four biggest reasons people give up are fatigue and frustration and failure and fear. Those are the things that people give up. They walk away. But they don't stand a chance when you're walking in the spirit that provides strength and stability and success and a sound mind. They're all found there in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17. God doesn't give you a spirit of fear, but of love. What's the rest of that? You guys remember? You guys remember? Love? What is it? I know some of you know. Brother Buttermore, what is that? What he gives you this does not give you the spirit of fear, but of love, power, and sound mind. Amen. That's what he gives you. You know, it's so important as God's people that we do not live in that place of fear of the unknown. Because we have the faith that is now. This time is now. Strength that's given daily. That's our daily allotment of his strength. Man, you want to give up, but you give in to God. Lastly, this is where that hope comes, is that sure destiny. I know where I'm going. I know whom I believe. Amen? I know what's going to happen. And that doesn't spoil it for me. Verse 17 and 18. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So you have this light affliction right here. It's afflicting you. And it light and maybe compounding itself. It's but it's for a moment. It's like it blows off the scale. It hits on the scale and it starts pushing you down, but it blows off that scale. But now let's look at the eternal weight of glory. It just keeps on coming down. The glory that God would give you. It comes and it stays. You want something that's going to outlast your life? Serve God. It will outlast your life. Whatever stage or step or place or purpose you have put your life into at this very moment, know this. That the eternity is real. And we're working for eternity. I, I'll tell you what, we have the best retirement plan, don't we? Amen. We got the best benefit package. We got the best 401k ever. Because we work until Jesus comes. And he takes us home. And we, we hopefully will hear the words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over at least of these things. And praise the Lord, God isn't fair. Because God don't give cabins on the outer side of glory. He's going to let you be in that mansion. Without getting too deep in theology, we're all going to heaven if you know Jesus. Amen? Amen.
And that's the thing here today, the sure destiny. In Romans 15, 13, it says, God, the God of hope will fill you and all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Hope is very important to endurance. Being at the end of your rope doesn't mean you're at the end of your hope. The Bible says our hope is the anchor for the soul, both sure and steadfast. But it's, it's not if when the storms hit your life, what will be your focus? What will be your focus when the storms hit your life? Remember, the same Peter that, that preached the day of Pentecost, St. Peter that walked out on the boat and started to sink. The Bible is true. As in Luke 9, 62, it says, And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now that sounds like a negative motivation to endure. You know, that, you know, hand to the plow, look back, I'm not fit for the kingdom of God. But let me give you a positive one. The positive is this. That the Lord will say to those who endure, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter now into the joy of thy Lord. A person is worse off for not enduring. Do you know, realize this, all of us suffer. All of us suffer. But in Peter, as we learned last uh, quarter in our, in our Sunday school classes, it's better to suffer for well-doing than evil-doing because the result is so much better. We read the back of the book. We win. Uh, you know, the, I'm going to end with James chapter 5 and verse 11. It says, Behold, we count them happy which endure. We count them happy which endure. I love that. How can, you, how can you find happiness in giving up? You know, it, it, a lot of people say, well, you get older, you can't work as hard, but you can still pray. Amen? In fact, we need more than the, the top three priorities for the Christian life. Let me give them to you. Pray, pray, pray. If you've lost that, you've lost everything else. Nothing else matters without prayer. So when somebody says to you, well, you know, we shouldn't expect too much of brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so. Man, I expect a lot. I expect prayer. And even when they can't be here, I want to know they're praying for me. I covet people's prayers. You say, well, that sounds pretty selfish and demanding. I go, well, then, you know, then call me selfish and demanding, I guess. Because I know God's people are called to pray. This is called a house of what? Prayer. And that's where we stand. And if you don't pray, you become prey, don't you? But Satan will attack. And he will win. I want to ask as we prepare a song, get ready to sing. Maybe you're here today and you have, you have lost the sense of the place where God has you. Maybe you've lost direction. Well, you know, if, you've, if you want to be distressed, if you want to be distressed, look within. We know a lot of people that look within all the time. They talk about their feelings, talk about, you know, their lot in life. They're distressed. If you want to be defeated, look back. Man, there were happier times. There were good times. There were wonderful times. 
if you want to be distracted, look around, right? Just look around you. There's more people more successful in the worldly things than you are. You can always find them. If you want to be dismayed, look ahead. The impossible task of reaching the world for Christ. You can get dismayed with that. Or if you want to be delivered, look up. You've got a choice today to look in one direction, and that's to look up to him. We, are you looking up today? That's going to be your saving grace. That's where you're going to see that faithfulness in the midst of all the steps that you take. I pray you will do this. You'll take your first step of faith, and then you take the next step of works. You know that? You take the first step of faith, and you take the next step of works. And I guarantee you, you'll find a God who's faithful in each step. You must take the step of faith, though, first. If you're lost and don't know him, you must take the step of faith. And then you get to work for him. You say, well, that's, you're telling me I have to work for him? You just have to take a step of faith. You know what God will do? He'll, he'll give you a want to to want to work for him. goes back to my first point. He'll change your want to's. Maybe you're here today and are saved and have went by the wayside. This is your opportunity to come. This is your opportunity to be right with God and get back to enduring and thriving in the work of God.